raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. Just like the bad hat he's wearing right now to start the show off. <laughs> Man, this is just how fit he is. Just spewing some bad stuff before he hop on. But also, he's a little worried about his hat right now, Wes. And we both kind of talked about with Colin in the room, maybe he should just go with the big hat that Brian Robinson was wearing for his boy who has the big hat business. Is that fire or fizzle if we were to put that on the Thursday fire or fizzle segment, the big hat? Straight! Fizzle is straight trash. So we're saying that we actually like Fitty's hat right now more than the big hat? Yeah, we like that. Okay. More. Even though the, who it is is not good, but, you know. So Fitty has this new hat. It's a North Carolina hat. He's been paranoid about it all day because he came in, and as soon as Kyle really came in, he felt like he was going to get a straight answer, and Kyle came into the fishbowl. Then he asked, all right, guys, I got a question. Do I look stupid in this hat? I don't think he looks stupid. I think it's a little big right now sitting on top of his head because it's a little boxy and it's not molded to his head. So he needs to break it in a lot more. But once that happens, I think he's going to be just fine. And then you think it'll be fire, right? You don't think it's all that bad right now. No, I think it looks good because, you know, our definitions of hats and and Kyle and things like that, you know, I'm of the urban ilk. So, uh, you know, the way we like to wear our hats is a little different. So, he are you saying this is a two Americas situation that way that you yes. wear your hats? Gotcha. Yes, yes, yes. So I think it looks good. I thought it was fine. I didn't think twice about it until he brought it up. Yeah, he did bring it up. And now now you're just worried. You think you're going to probably bring this thing back right now. The ba- Based on my react, based on your reaction, what I'm getting from you, I feel like yeah, you just can't like deal it. with it anymore. And you're about to send it back for a new hat. I think I'm going to re-gift it as a Christmas gift. That's oh, what that's I think I'm idea. doing. If Flounder, here's your Christmas present, bud. Nah, now, Flounder already has a big-ass head as it is. This wouldn't help his cause. But, like, my little brother, you know, this could be a nice little secondary gift when he when he opens up his Christmas presents. Yep, 704-570-9610. That's the Garage Door Guru text line. It's the Wes and Walker Show talking with Fiddy about his new hat. He just adjusted it. We're all in your head right now. Like, this thing is totally in your head. I'm telling you, you look okay. You can re-gift it to your little brother, but you still look sexy, Fiddy. I promise you, we can put a picture out there on Wes and Walker, our Twitter page. Find us again at Wes and Walker. We'll put out a picture and then you can tell exactly what Fiddy looks like in this new hat. Besides just talking about the head candy for one Josh Fitty Marlowe, we'll be getting to a lot of stuff today. Second Take Tuesday, we look at the impact plays from this past contest between the Carolina Panthers and the Denver Broncos. We'll be sure to hit the big plays that happened, but we'll also take a look at the magnifying glass out and take a look at some of the plays where maybe you missed them, but they had a huge impact on the game. We'll also visit the campus corner, continue to talk about some Carolina basketball. We'll rank our ACC head coach ranking. All the guys that should be up for coach of the year what award they should win, maybe second, third, fourth, we'll rank those, and then we'll get to plenty of other stuff, even the blowout last night for the Charlotte Hornets. We pulled up to the scene. Time to take the headphones off, get our uniforms on. We're getting off the bus. 
We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Damn! Let's start with Second Take Tuesday. As we often do before we get to the individual plays, we discuss the theme of what we noticed the second time watching that game, Wes. What do you think was the theme watching Carolina and Denver go at it seeing the Panthers get this victory? Well, I think it was just Coach Wilkes exerting his will, showing you what the future could look like if he is indeed named the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Conservative football quarterback being a game manager, running the hell out of the ball and playing good defense. Yeah, I think defensively they were astounding. And I think when you would watch them actually give up a few big plays, the 50-yard run to Latavius Murray, Brian Burns had a couple of excellent plays right after that in a row. And so they were able to mitigate the damage that was done on some of those big runs. Also, Deontay Foreman just runs so physically. When the going is tough for them, it's not even that they had a hard time throwing the football. It's just they really leaned into that identity, and they performed it. They executed it extremely well. Sam Darnold playing very well off of some play action. I think that was the theme, and we'll dig into some of the individual plays that happened between those two teams. Charlotte, I don't want to dig into any of the individual plays. <laughs> we can maybe go to the box score and point out a few of the young players that performed in this one. Kai Jones got a lot of minutes. Not a great game from Kai. Not a great game from really anybody in this one except for Jalen McDaniels did score career high 24 points he did that's something to look forward to in a positive light with Jalen here's head coach Steve Clifford discussing what he hopes they can take away from this one individual defense help defense pick and roll defense you know those are three things I talked to him about after we've actually I think we came into this we're like 12th 13th in defense we've gotten a lot better and they make you look bad, too. But, you know, we, we did not have the right, you know, mentality to even have a chance to make it hard on them. In the group text last night between the three kings that you have dubbed us, Wes, you asked whether the over-under should be set at 140, and you absolutely nailed it. They did, indeed. <laughs> the Celtics, they scored 140 points as the Hornets get blown out. I said the fact that I expected this game to be a blowout immediately. I mean, when you have no LaMelo Ball, no Terry Rozier with an illness, no Gordon Hayward, no Dennis Smith Jr., you didn't have any ball handler. Teo Maladon was the only guy available in the backcourt for this game, and that was about it. I was making the joke earlier, no Muggsy Bogues, no Kimball Walker, Ramon Sessions, Brevin Knight. It yeah. If you handled the basketball for a Charlotte professional franchise, you were not available to play in this game, and they got blown out immediately. What can you take away from this? I mean, not much at all, and I said that when I said that over under, I was just saying I, I kind of got a feel for games, especially last season, seeing them all and just getting a feel for the pace and what was going on and how many points you have and how you're shooting it. And I said, oh, boy. I said, And then I said, remember, I started the text off. I said, when Blake Griffin hits a three to start the game, I said, that is not a good sign for your basketball team. Oh, no, it's actually quite horrible, especially when they would go on to hit 10 first quarter three-pointers. Yeah, and man. Blake turned back the time machine a little bit and slammed it from yeah, the Yeah, when he caught that lob. Yeah, man, it, it was uh, so it was a tough night for the Hornets last night and, and missing all those guys. And I think that even at full strength, I mean, you probably shave 10, 12, 14 off of that. But they got a glimpse of where you're 
aspiring to go. That's what I took away from it. That's what the top of the Eastern Conference looks like. That's what I took. It really, all the injuries, it was the worst injury game that they had this season, which is saying something, and it came at the worst time because you're facing maybe the best team in the NBA. The Celtics are... Does Terry need to just rest? Because it seems like he plays a few games and then he's back out for a while. So he had the ankle injury, then it seemed like he was going to play. I, I think, man, was he possible or was he probable? I forget the designation, but then he was listed as out and that killed the Charlotte. Once Terry was gone, I mean, you didn't have a shot and and this game was over pretty immediately. There was a comedic moment from Kelly Oubre in this one, Fiddy. You brought to our attention. What were you discussing about Kelly Oubre before we actually hit the airwaves today? Man, look, there's the, the Tsunami Poppy hit a nice, tough layup to make the score a beautiful 102-76 in favor of Boston. <laughs> and as he's running back down the court, he gave the you're too small to guard me sign down 20 freaking six. I, there are so many funny moments in the past week with Kelly. The fact that they were going to beat Minnesota and all they had to do was dribble the air out of the basketball. And he is so hardwired to shoot at all costs. It doesn't matter. Well, we might lose the game, but I got to shoot. It is something with deep inside him that he has to do. And then the crowd is yelling, no, Mason Plumley. If you look in that game against Minnesota, Mason Plumley mouths no when Kelly goes for the shot and then passes it midair. I, it's hilarious because he's so maddening to watch sometimes, yet I love the comedic ability he brings to the Charlotte Hornets. Oh, no doubt about it. And the Hornets, uh, they, they tend to do that. There were some games last year when they were down big and LaMelo would do his three-point celebration and things of that. It's just like, come on, guys. But, yeah, Kelly Oubre, man, sometimes you wonder what's on that mind of his when he's out there doing certain things. Wait, I need to run something by both of you, too. Stanford mm-hmm. P. wrote in the Garage Door Guru text line, 704-570-9610. He said, Walker, you can't turn back the time machine. You can only get in the time machine. Yeah, but you can get in it and turn it back, right? Yeah, you like, can. You can send it back to previous years. Fiddy, what's the call on your end? That's the point of it. I feel like you can turn it back. I don't know. I'm kind of confused. <laughs> like, 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 once you're... I guess he's saying you can't turn back the time machine once you turn back time. I, I guess is like, once you go back in time, that's it. All right, now we're just singing share songs, turning back time. I turn maybe, back time. Oh, that was beautiful. That really hurt. That really... I, I like that better than your Margot Robbie impression. That one was good. Can you hit me one more time? We could turn back time. There, Why uh, you take was, all that falsetto out of it? <laughs> no, that That's was, what made it. That was a little bit lower pitch. So there you go, Stanford P. I feel like you can turn back the time machine. I just want to run that by everybody just real quickly. Another thing we're going to discuss today. Did Drake May get exposed? Because it happened for the second week in a row that the North Carolina Tar Heels lost. They're not scoring touchdowns. Even with Drake May scoring or doing what he had to do to score in crunch time situations where it was the pass to Josh Downs that he dropped against Georgia Tech against NC State, he had to complete two uh, touchdown passes where we thought one was going to count and then it didn't. And then, of course, he just hits his guy in the back of the end zone anyway. Wes, would you say it's okay to say Drake May got exposed after the second straight a straight week of Carolina getting beat? Man, well, with the season that he's having, you hate to say that, but when you look at the game plan and, and what these teams were doing, they took Josh Downs away, and then they had the requisite pass rush to be able to get after him and bother him. You look at Josh Downs' stats the last two weeks, nine catches, 82 yards, zero scores, for Mr. Downs. So that does beg the question that, you know, if you take away Downs from this team, because not only when he does not have the ball, 
he's still getting a lot of attention. But the fact that they took him away and he wasn't Drake's safety net and Drake struggled the way that he did, it does beg the question. That's why the hell we're asking. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think that Drake may got exposed. I think what we're talking about is someone that gave his team a chance to win a couple of different times where there were clutch moments from him in each of those games. And I do think that if you have an offensive line that's been given up that much pressure to any quarterback, if you take away a receiver of that caliber to any other quarterback, they'd look a lot worse than what Drake may did in the previous two games. Sure, he wasn't putting up the crazy See, I numbers. don't know if that happens Caleb Williams. I think Caleb's going to get busy regardless well, of who you pack, take away. Well, I mean, in the pack, I mean, so I guess exposed is <laughs> not the best quarterback in the country because Caleb Williams is going to win the Heisman. And no so doubt. if you're saying he's not the best quarterback in the country, fair, especially with the way Caleb's playing, but that I don't know if that means he got exposed because he's not better than Caleb Williams. No, no I'm, what I'm saying is that, okay, and I guess I'll put it in more context for you. I'm saying like, okay, if I take away your top receiver, are you still going to light me up and just use everybody else? And then eventually I'm going to have to come off of your guy and then you can get back to business. And that's what I'm saying about Drake May. Now, is that a reflection of the Carolina receiving call? Because I feel like a lot of those guys are one-trick ponies. I think Antoine Green is just a deep ball guy. Do yeah. you have a guy that, you know what I'm saying, that can give you the underneath and you can still eat and do what you do? And that's what I'm saying about Drake May. If you take away Josh Downs, is that a reflection of the receiving core or is it him? Because I'm saying with Caleb Williams, I feel like if you take away, uh, what's my boy's name, Jordan Addison, he's still going to put up big numbers. Yeah, I, I think that's all I'm saying. Yeah, 704 number rode in. It's hard for Drake May to put the team on his back when he himself is on his back. But we'll get back to that <laughs> at one o'clock. We'll also talk about the ACC Coach of the Year candidates and where we would have them going uh, to the end of the season. That'll do it for the first segment. Getting off the bus for Wesson Walker. It's time for Second Take Tuesday coming up next. We'll look at the offensive impact plays. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Primo, I was wondering what 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 is that off of? Because it sounds like a raucous records type. I know, you know what I'm saying. What's oh, Gangstar? Okay, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's Guru R.I.P. It's also the Weston Walker Show, Sports right. Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Appreciate you guys joining us. You can text in to the Garage Door Guru text line. Yeah, I'm not ready to go over yeah, here. Yeah, you know, yeah. we'll figure um, it out. I, I want that to almost be a bit for us where I always ca uh, call for it. And, that, I mean, it just is becoming a bit for us, um, even if we don't want it to be. All right, let's do it again. Let's uh, let's turn back the time machine, as they might say. <laughs> time now. You can text into the Garage Door Guru text line. Oh, yeah. Freaking flawless here on uh, Sports Radio 92.7. You can text in 704-570-9610. Um, just real quickly, following up the Drake May conversation about whether he got exploited, I do want to get to that at 1 o'clock as well, um, or maybe 2 o'clock, just a little bit later in the show. But a 910 number wrote in, yeah, Drake May also doesn't have Lincoln Riley calling plays for him. And I did question oh, the play. On. Oh, you don't think big difference no, between that Lincoln Riley and Phil Longo? 
I mean, a little bit. But Longo, they call a good game plan for Drake May. They they do call. Oh, not against State. I that don't think. offense design is good. State's defense makes it ugly for everybody. Fair. That's though. fair. That's, That's what fair. they do. But but what I was going to say too, and we'll get to it later. You know, I got to take a little jab at you. I feel like that you. Like, if a guy can make a play at the end of the game, that kind of erases the wrongs of earlier. Because when you look at that second half against Georgia Tech, it was punt, punt, interception, punt. And so I can't give you full credit, even if you make the last play, because you had ample time to make plays. And, and so sometimes that's my gripe with Drake May the last couple of weeks. Like, even if you get the last pass on the money or even if you score it, that's cool. But you had a lot of time where you did nothing. No, that's that's fair. I think when we talk about the Heisman race, that was what I was bringing up against Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. It's that when we talk, you are one that likes the whole win stat, right? Yes. Like 100%. You put up the wins as much as any QB evaluation, yes. right? And certainly focus on that more than me. Yeah. If we were to go to the fact that Drake May did make a play, quote unquote, against Georgia Tech to win, but Josh Downs dropped it, maybe Georgia Tech comes back and score. I forget how much time was left. There wasn't When much. he dropped the ball? Yeah, but it, I, regardless... Drake May made the play to possibly help them win, and it didn't happen. Now, in overtime, I'll give you that. Drake May in overtime, once they went there, they were settling for a couple of field goals. And the kicker missed a field goal in double overtime, and C State ends up winning. But I did think it was pretty crazy. Like, Drake May does have the whole ice in his veins attitude. There were two plays in a row he had to make where he completed passes. That is not even counting the fourth down conversion where he's throwing across his body to his left to the tight end for Nesbitt to bring it down on that fourth conversion attempt. I just think exploited is too strong. I'm with you. After the second game in a row with those stats, I'm not going to make the case for Drake's Heisman campaign anymore. Like I thought there was life even after Georgia Tech, but Caleb Williams is is clearly separating himself from everybody. Exploited is way too strong, especially when you compare him to all the other QBs. If you want to say Caleb's better, that's way cool. I would agree with you. But right now, I just don't think Drake may maybe being the second best QB means he got exploited. No, no doubt. And and I will go in your direction as well, saying I don't think that he did get exploited. I just said it does beg some interesting questions. And I want to see what Clemson's game plan. You know, teams love to copycat. Now, I don't think Clemson's defense is as good as NC State's, but... Clemson is going to look at that film and say, okay, we're going to focus on taking Josh Downs out of the game and then see what he can do. And if he goes for a third straight game yeah. where team takes away Josh Downs and then his numbers are paltry, as I like That's to say. That's when they get truly exploited. That's when Drake gets That's truly exploited. That's when I'm going to really start to think, like, not, not that I, I don't you. think he's a great prospect, but I'm just going to say, man, this, this is very interesting. And then come into next season when Downs is more than likely going to be gone. He could come back, but when he's more than likely gone – I'm going to be like, how's this going to look? Fiddy is Fiddy is the rare example. Maybe not the rare example, but he definitely... I'd love to hear what he thinks. 100%, because he falls on the other side usually when people will uh, say that there is homerism about whenever you defend a certain player that you pull for. Mm-hmm. You know, you might have to say that about a Fiddy, but he is not a homer. In fact, not he goes at all. 100% against his team at times because he is so angry with the way they performed. Fiddy, I know that you are one that does believe Drake May kind of did get exploited the last two weeks. Yeah, and I think the thing is that I don't think we're surprised that he got exposed. I think we're surprised when it happened because it was. In, I don't even. Yeah, exploited is weird. I don't know why I keep saying that. You know, exposed. it happened in November at home against. I mean, Georgia Tech's defense not great. NC State's front four was the best front four they've seen maybe outside of Pitt and Notre Dame. But yeah, it, it was just very evident that he didn't like. He doesn't like getting hit, 
And once that clock got sped up in his head, he could not make the adjustments on his own to kind of get himself out of out of that rump. And uh, and so, you know, we're going to see how he responds Saturday because he comes out and he plays big time on Saturday. It'll kind of, you know, salt over the wounds we're feeling right now. But if it lingers and he doesn't play well on Saturday night and he doesn't play well in the bowl game, they've got a whole offseason to figure out what went wrong for him in the second half of his season. Um. Real quickly, 704-570-9610, the Garage Door Guru text line. Somebody wrote in that was actually recognized by DJ Premier in the locks, and it was DJ Premier. I didn't think it was the locks, though. we got to get our research team on that, our yeah. hip-hop research team. Yeah. That Fiddy is the head of, so we'll get <laughs> Fiddy on top of that to make sure that he is right about it. Let's move on to Second Take Tuesday. Let's look at the offensive plays that set the tone. I did want to get to Steve Smith's soundbite yesterday on the Kyle Bailey show, though. First, here's his evaluation of the Panthers' offense under Sam Darnold. When I look and evaluate how the Carolina Panthers played yesterday, how Sam Darnold played yesterday compared to the last time Sam Darnold played and he was under center and started for the Carolina Panthers, it wasn't that great, but he's taken the time that he was sitting and getting healed up. He came out a bit. He was efficient. He he made some good throws. He stepped up in the pocket. He kept his eyes down the field. Steve Wilkes did a, a great job, and, and Ben McAdoo as well, of controlling the clock, controlling the plays, playing keep-away football. I did think, and it's always helped when you can run the ball effectively. That gets lost sight of a lot, and you and I have been on the same page regarding play calling. It's so much easier to say Ben McAdoo did a lot better job when they're running the ball effectively. Right. And so, you know, 100 percent understood there. I still, with that being said, think Ben McAdoo had one of his better play calling games in this one against the Denver Broncos. And Sam Darnold really helped him. So I'll allow that to get to my first two plays package deal. I'm cheating a little bit. OK, but it's our show, Wes. So I'm going right. to go ahead we and, cheat do. and do the package deal on second take Tuesday. Right. Very first drive play action. Right. Sam Darnold rolls out right. Season open, Ian Thomas gets it in his hands quickly, and then you pick up an immediate first down. Then you start to run a little bit more. It was a third and six attempt from their 44 after that first down pickup. He throws to DJ Moore down the field, deep left sideline. Perfect pass. DJ just doesn't get his foot down. But what this did to me in the first drive of the game, even if they punt, oh, okay, Sam's going to be throwing downfield a little bit. We got play action to start everything off. We're not just handing it off to Deontay Foreman, and that's the only recipe that we have in the cookbook. Reminded me of the P.J. Walker throw, too, against Tampa, when P.J. had a whole bunch of other throws in that game that were excellent. But there was a throw to D.J. Moore on the sideline, I believe, that was incomplete because D.J. did not get both feet down on the ground. I think that same thing happened with Sam Darnold, where I'm like, okay, I'm a little at ease. Maybe Darnold can actually make some plays in this one. So I think the throw to Ian Thomas, just overall, it's not like it was amazing. It was wide open. Right. But good play call. Good job by Sam Darnold throwing the ball a little bit. And then the throw downfield to DJ Moore. I think those two plays allowed me to settle in and think, you know what? There's some hope on the horizon offensively. Yeah. And I feel like we also got a little bit of a glimpse of even though, you know, I've talked about on here how I think that Coach Wilkes can be a bit conservative in his approach. And I think that's his overall style. But to your point, is it to where if he feels like he has the proper personnel that he can be a little bit more That's right. vivid in what he's doing? And so that leads to my play, 530 in the first quarter, fourth and one, that fake punt that he did. He gets the first down, and then you saw he gave the little wink. Did you see that on the broadcast after the yeah. fake punt when he gave a little wink? <laughs> and so um, 
I was like, well, does this show, you know, we used to talk about Riverboat Ron and all that stuff. So does this show like that he actually does have a little bit in him to where he wants to do some things outside of the box. But, um, you know, he just feels like if I have the right person, now, if I trust the guys mm-hmm. that we're doing this with, I'm willing to go color outside of the line. They barely picked it up, but they did. And you know what? Right after that. They were awesome. I mean, Mm -hmm. every single play, I believe, was successful right after that, all the way down. They got that momentum. To the DJ Moore touchdown. Mm -hmm. So as soon as they picked that up, it was huge, right? Like, not only are you just prolonging your series, but it does lead to not only even just a score, but you are picking up some momentum. You do see more of the evidence I was talking about from the first drive. It's the fact that, hey, we might be okay with Sam Darnold playing quarterback in this one against a great defense that is the Denver. Broncos and they were certainly very good coming in to that game. I'll fast forward to the second quarter of about five minutes left. It was a third and four. Sam Darnold, this one's actually not a great play for the offense, but it was the fact that the worst did not happen Mm -hmm. that allowed Carolina to set themselves up for a 42-yard field goal from Eddie Pinheiro. The third and fourth throw was probably the most dangerous throw I could remember from this game yesterday, and that was when he throws to the outside to Terrace Marshall. Mm -hmm. Pat Sertan, I believe it was Sertan, made a hell of a break on that football. Planted his foot in the ground. It's what If you ever watch with a defensive back, they're like, ooh, putting that foot in the ground, just sprinting towards the football. That's <laughs> yeah. exactly what happened to Sertan mm-hmm. and stopped a potential pickup for Marshall. And Darnold, I think, did a good job getting the football out of his hands quickly. He knew exactly where he wanted to go. Um, but that was just a really good corner who did not play well against Carolina because of his coverage on DJ Moore or lack thereof. I think did do a good job on that play. They did settle for the field goal, but could have been worse for the Denver defense had Sertan, I believe it was him, that made that play. So I thought that was a good one. The third and four from the Denver 24, instead of possibly picking up a touchdown, um, Eddie Pinera Pine- uh, would hit a 42-yard field goal. That's one other play I'll go to. Yeah, no doubt. And so then we talked about Icky this year, and in this game, you know, he, according to PFF, he did not have – uh, a great football game when you talk about he had a um, a good pass blocking grade, but right. that run block grade, 44. Okay, but the play I'm talking about here in the third quarter, around 11.40, it was second and six. Chuba had a nice run off the left side, and Icky just straight dominated his guy. And I bring that play up to say that's what the potential and that's what that picture of Icky looks like when he really starts to get into his groove uh, out there on the edge. It was a great block. He had great pad level. Even if the guy wanted to get outside, he couldn't. And it wasn't because Icky was holding him. Icky was holding him or anything like that. It was a great block. He was getting up the field, and he was moving the guy. He almost pancaked him, actually. Panthers fans can understand my excitement and probably overexcitement over a left tackle. And I imagine I feel very similar to other Panthers fans because we have been looking for a left tackle Mm -hmm. that fits the bill of a franchise guy for a long time. It is crazy because it used to be, well, it's not that long since Jordan Gross retired. But now it is. Now we are really getting close to about a decade that Jordan Gross has been out of the National Football League. Yeah. And the best left tackle that you've had, I mean, I guess Russell Okun, who was hurt quite a bit, but also, I mean, Michael Lohr was solid the Super Bowl year and then had the unfortunate concussions that kept him out for a really long time. This seems like a franchise guy, Wes. It feels like, I, I mean, I feel comfortable 
saying he can be someone here in a Panther uniform for the next 10 years. An offensive lineman, if you're really good, they have a pretty long life in the NFL. You can go to a Trent Williams. You can go to Andrew Whitworth. I'm not saying he's those guys, but we've seen really good tackles have a long life in the NFL. So good returns early with Iki Kwanu, the sixth overall pick. Last offensive play I'll go to, 10 minutes in the third quarter. Sam Darnold passed deep left to DJ Moore. Set him up on the Denver 15-yard line. DJ Moore working against Pat Sertan. And Sam uh-huh. Darnold just putting it right on the numbers for DJ. That set up a Deontay Foreman nine-yard run. And then it set up one of the better rushing touchdowns we have seen. And also one of the worst rushing touchdowns we've seen from Carolina. The Sam Darnold holy roller himself. Right. Grabbing onto the football and just stop, drop, and rolling right on into the end zone. Because Great awareness, though. It Great was, awareness. He, he did the only thing he possibly could to get that thing into the end zone as soon as he recovered the fumble. But it was set up with a second and nine deep pass to DJ Moore where Darnold delivered an accurate football. So Sam, the quarterback coming up pretty big a couple of different times on that on that scoring drive. Yeah, no doubt. And that's what I will point out. The awareness that he had as just the gamer. You know, he knew, oh, nobody's touched me yet. Let me roll and get it on the ground. So that was a, a, a great play and kind of the way that things went for the Panthers going up against such a great defense they were catching breaks and and things were just happening for him so dj moore performed well also had some of the bigger plays that you might expect to hear during mm-hmm. this segment you had the sideline catch from dj down the right you also had quite a few runs from deontay foreman but this was an offensive game plan from ben mcadoo from steve wilkes where they were effective running the football and then sam darnold was able to capitalize off of that with play action do you expect to see this from Sam? Because before I, we'll move on to the defense a little bit later in the show, but we came into this game asking the question, should Sam actually get a little bit of grace in this contest because Denver's defense is so good because it's his first start of the year because he's coming off of an injury. Does he deserve a little cushion from the criticism because of all of these things stacking up against him? But what he did is he came out and played better than I thought he would. Do you think he can do something similar to that as the year goes on with a better offensive line than he had last year against defenses that aren't really as strong as what Denver has posted up this year? Um, Just can't trust him well enough yet? No, I, I think at some point, Sam Darnold will turn back into Sam Darnold. Well, and somebody uh, t- texted that in, by the way. Yeah, yeah. just wait long enough. Yeah, I, and up. I posed the question like, okay, you know, they talked about during the broadcast, can he, or talked about his him refinding his love for the game. And I was like, you know, could he have like a Geno Smith-type resurgence after being out for so long? I'm just not sure about that. I would need to see him in situations where he's got to go make the plays. And I say that meaning running game ain't going great. And it's third nine. You got a few uh, in a maybe in a given quarter. You got a couple of third and sevens or longer. You got to make those throws. Then maybe I'll start to buy in a little bit more. But for right now, until I see that, I still I'm going to go off what I've seen so far. And that is just, you know, him turning over the football at key junctures. Yeah, and Stanford P, he wrote in what happens when the running game doesn't work. That's my question with Steve Wilkes. And it's fair. I it's all about having the quarterback you trust, right? Yeah. I, I think there's so much due to the personnel. 
does Steve Wilkes still want to be so crazy conservative? Or does he want to unleash a quarterback that he deems unleashable? Because that is not Sam. That's not even really P.J. Walker. You Mm -hmm. can let them throw down the field at times, but you can't do it all the time. If you try to play him like Pat Mahomes, they're going to lose every single game. But it's still a warranted concern with this Carolina Panthers team. That'll do it for the offensive part of Second Take Tuesday. We'll visit the campus corner in just a moment, but not before the first Fitty Flash of the day. What you got, Fitty? Well, guys, yesterday we talked about Odell Beckham Jr. being removed from an American Airlines flight at Miami International Airport, and we kind of discussed will that impact his future in the NFL, more specifically with the Dallas Cowboys, who he was supposed to meet with yesterday. And today, owner Jerry Jones went on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas and said, quote, his overall team compatibility, his judgment, his behavior is not an issue with him. It is with many. It isn't with him, meaning that door is still open for Odell Beckham Jr. to join the Dallas Cowboys. Wes, you said yesterday that you would think that if the, with this coming out, the Cowboys should lose all interest in them. Are you surprised that Jerry Jones is still interested in adding the former All-Pro uh, wide receiver to that Cowboys roster? Well, listen, we know the infamous history of the Dallas Cowboys and the players that they've had and what they've done. And not saying every organization is perfect, but we know if there's any house for those who have had troubles in their past. That's right. It resides at Texas <laughs> Stadium, a.k.a. Jerry World. That's what I call it. Old school. I still call it Texas Stadium. Okay. Uh, we know that Jerry will help, will help you if you can help him. And so I think that uh, I'm not surprised by it at all. No, I'm not surprised. I mean, this is the team. As soon as that happened, it almost solidified that Dallas was going to be the only team that would bring him in. There are other franchises that I'm sure aren't going to care. There are some that will. But I do know that Dallas was never going to care about this incident. They ain't never scared like Bone Crusher. They they, they are. No, Jerry Jones and Bone Crusher. You never thought you heard the comparison? (laughs) Well, there you are. Wes Bryant (laughs) bringing the heat. It's the Wes and Walker Show. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It's the Campus Corner coming up next. Corner on the Wes and Walker Show, Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. You can text in to the Garage Door Guru text line at 704-570-9610 and share your thoughts as we kind of switch it up and talk a little Carolina basketball where both teams, North Carolina and Duke, suffered some big-time losses this weekend. North Carolina a little bit closer against both Iowa State and Alabama, but Duke only suffered the one loss. It was just by a lot to a top-ranked team now. I believe fifth is where the Purdue Boilermakers come in in the AP poll. Wes, I'll ask you this question. Who do you feel better about long-term after a couple of bad losses for each of these teams? And you can dictate... What is the worst loss between both of these programs? Mm -hmm. Who do you feel better about, Duke or North Carolina going forward? I would say at this point I feel better about North Carolina simply because I'm going off of the experience and what they did last year in the tournament and the fact that I have some bankable commodities on this team. Uh, Armando Baycott, Caleb Love, regardless of how much he likes to check it, and uh, R.J. Davis and Leaky Black for sure. So I have some guys that I feel like have been there and done that, whereas with the Blue Devils, 
it's a lot of young guys. Jeremy Roach is the vet, but Filipowski looks like he's the best player. And from the young freshmen that I've seen, I don't see anything dynamic or difference-making about it. Duke's only got two guys at this point averaging in double figures, which is preposterous to me. So I'm going to go with the Tar Heels. Yeah, Fiddy, I don't know what to do with each of these teams, especially with Duke, because do you view the Blue Devils as some Kentucky Wildcat team that is going to get better as the year goes on because they are so young? And then do you bank on that, or do you actually see that as a detriment? While when you compare them to North Carolina, you do have a team that was an eight seed, yeah. But they did reach the national championship. They did return all of those guys. But at the end of the day, you evaluate the regular season last year, and they were still an eight seed. They did get a lot better, but they do have a lot of experience. I, I don't know whether to view the uncertainty as a positive for Duke or as a negative when comparing that to North Carolina. Well, I think the reason why we wonder where Duke's going to go is because they got a first-time head coach on the bench. If Coach K was coaching them and they and they were where they are right now, you would say no doubt this team's going to be a better team come March. We don't know that about Duke, just like we didn't know that about North Carolina last year. And the difference between this Duke team and last year's Carolina's team was Carolina was a little bit more experienced. They brought in more experience via the transfer portal, and that, that really helped them. Duke brought in Jacob Grandison, a guy we spoke with at ACC Media Days, and he's been nothing more or he's been nothing less than unimpressive so far to start the season. He's not an emotional leader like Brady Manick was for last year's Carolina team. So, you know, I, I do think John Shire's going to figure it out. They need Jeremy Roach to be the best player on the floor every night, and that's a hard thing to ask because he hasn't been that his first three years in college. Yeah, he was really good in the tournament last year, showed up for them, certainly at times, but I don't know if that's something he can do consistently. Now, if the heels don't, at least make a deep tourney run this year after all of the expectations putting out the classic sports illustrated cover where it was the sam perkins michael jordan cover with dean smith and then it's hubert davis caleb love armando baycott recreating that and then let's say they're bounced like second round i mean i don't know if sweet 16 is something you would consider a deep tourney run for this carolina team with those types of expectations i would say no because that's what carolina is doing to themselves that's what they've been putting out there from their own standpoint point not it's not been put on by us how much do you question hubert at that point is it crazy to be having that conversation Wes? uh the reason i i think so is because you know last year carolina fans were so ready to get rid of him early in the season and i know fan bases you know when a coach every time you lose a game they want you to get fired but I think they were down on him until the tournament run. A lot of people felt he wasn't ready. The job was too big for him, et cetera. I think in this era of college basketball, when you're able to have some talented young players, but you get the experience back that they get, that's just a rare thing these days. And with them coming in as the favorites and all the expectations and things of that nature, I just wonder, you know, with the team not playing with that proper mentality, like they're coming out like a hungry team that wants revenge, um, I do question that. And to say uh, if they do flame out early, yeah, I think you do look at Hubert Davis a little bit and wonder, you know, what's going on there. And is he the right guy for the job? Yeah, I mean, I look, we're, we're so early into this, right? They're so they're, The bad losses are there. They're not playing nearly as well as we thought Carolina would. I do think North Carolina is going to get a lot better as the season goes on. And Sam DeMann wrote in that Coach K teams normally get worse towards the end of the year. Look it up. I mean, I don't know if they get worse. I know they get bounced in the tournament sometimes. But here's the reason why I feel better about North Carolina going forward, too. 
is we've seen under Roy Williams and small sample size for Hubert Davis, but the one year under Hubert, North Carolina teams always get better as the season goes on. ACC tournament flameouts will happen, or tournament flameouts will happen for sure, but North Carolina is never one of those teams that you expect to go undefeated because they're going to lose to Santa Clara like they did in 05. They're going to lose a couple of ACC conference games to start like they did in 09. North Carolina, they do that stuff, man. Like, this is when you have the undefeated talk about Kentucky. It's because they have so much talent and there's something to work with there. But Roy Williams, during his time, would always want to play some bench players to get them ready for the season as it went on. And you might even sacrifice a couple of losses at the beginning of the season for that. You might flirt with the loss or an upset to your College of Charleston's of the world. We've seen that happen. And then last year, Hubert Davis in North Carolina, we were talking about them, whether they'd be a tourney team right. midway through the season, and then they pretty clearly became a tourney team at the end. It wasn't this high seed. They were only eight, but we know they clearly were locked in to make the big dance, and that's why I feel a lot better about North Carolina. We've seen this before. It happens really every year. Now, sometimes they don't get better with the NIT appearances that they've had. This is not an NIT team. It, it would be the upset of the century for North Carolina to not make the tournament overall, and I don't expect that to happen. North Carolina did make the ACC championship game when it comes to their football program. They'll be facing Clemson and nobody can agree who the starting quarterback should be for the Clemson Tigers. You've been going for DJU in this one. Dabo Sweeney has has made it that DJU is still their guy. Here he is talking about just that, not going to Cade Klubnik at the moment. Is DJ still the guy? What have y'all concluded, I guess, as of this afternoon? So are you asking me if he's the reason we lost? No, no, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just curious if he's still the starter. Yeah, he's still the starter. Yeah, still the starter. He didn't. He didn't. He's not the reason we lost the game, and uh, he he can't catch it. You know, and again, he doesn't play safety. He doesn't return kicks. So he he's got his share of things that he can do better. But you know, he, he's he he will he will definitely start the game. <sighs> so here's my problem with Dabo getting testy. It's certainly a fair question. It is. When you've gone to Cade a couple times before, it doesn't mean that Cade was amazing. I'm not saying Cade Klubnik should start, but you, Davo Sweeney, have gone to the other quarterback on your roster. Mm -hmm. Are you telling me that DJU wasn't playing well and he was the reason you weren't playing well and so that's why you went to Cade? So don't come at somebody that's just asking what is a more than fair question. It is the question. It's not just a fair one. It is the question to ask for this Clemson program. And then you would say, well, are you asking me if he's the reason we lost? Are you saying it's the safety? Are you saying it's that one play <laughs> on a return? Are you saying that? That's why, Dabo, man, it's that testiness. When you want to be rah-rah and all this, I love my players, cool. But then when you do want to protect DJ, it feels like it comes at the expense of your safety, of your return man. Mm -hmm. And you've benched DJU a couple times before. Yeah, that's very fair to say. Times are tough down in Death Valley. And I think when you see Dabo reacting like that, that's what you're seeing. Um, I think, as you said, you know, he's it's a very fair question for him to ask. But he's starting DJ because he doesn't have a better alternative. But they're not going to tell us that. Okay? Because if he had a better option, he would go to him. After you have the type of game that DJ had 8 for 29 and you struggled the way you did offensively, we've seen in the past that Dabo has not hesitated to play the more talented guy. He did it with Trevor Lawrence. He did it. He got. He made sure he got Deshaun Watson in when Cole Stout was there. Okay, so we know that he will do that. But 
it's just not there as far as the guy behind him. So he's just saying, look, man, you know, he's trying everything he can to deflect the fact that he's going to play DJ regardless and he doesn't have a better option. Well, and how about, you know, Big Cat Dan wrote in, the defense scored nine points. It's maddening what he said. DJ had 99 yards passing. It's not like DJ played well. Maybe you don't think they should go to Cade. Cool, right? right? It's not like DJU played well in this game either. It's more than a fair question. I just feel like it's ridiculous to get that testy if you're Dabo Sweeney. I need to stop saying testy so many times. That'll do it for the first (laughs) hour for the Weston Walker Show on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We got off the bus. We talked a little bit about Drake May earlier. Let's continue that conversation. Plus, I want to rank the ACC Coach of the Year candidates. That's coming up next on Sports Radio 92.7 FM. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.